Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Carl Carlson. Hey, Carl. You know, just before I headed in here to do sound checks and all the other good stuff for today's uh, session, I, I in was, we hadn't talked about this prior, but it was uh, it was a news report uh, kind of honoring. Well, it was honoring a retiring science reporter, and they were saying, you know, what was your most memorable point and what got you into it and everything else. And one of the lines caught me as significant he's it was along the lines is there's just a fascinating a fascination about learning about how the world works about how you know he was talking about exploration on mars and then he was talking about um uh acids and bases and how that kind of stuff works and how the natural world works and how dna works and and so he spent 30 years interviewing and discussing and following all of these different science topics. And the, the interviewer is like, well, what, why do you enjoy this? And he goes, it's just fascinating. You know, uh, I could, I know about CRISPR and I know how it works and dealing with the DNA and all this stuff and genes. And I couldn't tell you how it exactly works, but it's fascinating know that knowing that it exists. And it dawned on me that, and I know you've done this, Carl. You're working on a project and something's not working and we go into root cause analysis mode or troubleshooting mode or whatever and we go, aha, that's what it is. And I can turn it on and off. I can control it. I can understand it. Yeah, you solve a problem, but it's just fascinating to me. I enjoy that to no end is just using what we know in science and engineering to to understand the problem. Yeah, it's great to solve the problem. I think that keeps our paycheck coming in. But I don't know. Do you get that you know, you have to con- I have to control myself sometimes. I'm in the lab and I'm working on something <laughs> and they're like, you know, this is just fascinating, but I there's absolutely nothing relevant to I got to solve the real problem here first. But that was really cool. I wonder I got to solve that. I I run into that all the time. I do too, Fred. It's it, it's really it's it's such a great subject. Uh, what what gets me up each day is that kind of curiosity, that kind of interest in uh, what will the day, what will I discover today, as opposed to the routine. And I, I think back years ago um, when I was a, a manager of a test lab, and I hadn't really formed my career in reliability. And back then, reliability was a, a sort of a test and fix and uh, more of a statistical approach, which is still there. It's very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there wasn't a lot of uh, physics and uh, engineering involved in it. It was more of a uh, fix-it type of thing. Right. At least that's the way it was applied where I was working then. And then when we discovered the value of design for reliability, the value of physics in the subject of reliability, it just ignited a passion in me because then you could get, I could explore my education, you know, my mechanical engineering background and understand the the uh, the, the fatigue and corrosion and all the different mechanisms of failure, at least from a mechanical side. And then the same thing on the electrical side. So it just, 
it 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 ignited a more of a passion about the subject of reliability that's carried me forward all these years, even into FMEA. Uh, we when we get to the cause column, I say yes, but don't forget the failure mechanism right. of how the of the underlying uh, physics of how something is failing. And yeah, that that is a really uh, almost a a base for our uh, for our body of knowledge. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yep. Now it's one of the. I think we've talked about it before. Is that we should do a whole series just on failure mechanisms. You know, just what is corrosion, and it has a bazillion different variations depending on the materials you're dealing with. I mean, we could do a year's worth of podcasts just on corrosion. It'd be we'd have to rename the podcast, but but yeah. I think the idea is, is that so many different things, and it's not just the mechanisms that lead to failures. That's an example, I think, of what this learning how things work is. I, mean, I remember at HP, I was up in the, the um, in Oregon at a site that, that made and manufactured and designed the print heads in inkjet printers. And they had, I had the opportunity to sit down for a couple of hours with one of the, one of the five original creators of inkjet. And they mm -hmm. called them the fab five because they created this multi-billion dollar industry. Um, they didn't know it at the time. They were just playing in the labs and going, hmm, I wonder if we could squirt this stuff out of here, if that would work. <laughs> you know? And <laughs> and I was interested in, well, how does it not work? And he goes, oh, oh we found a lot of ways it doesn't work. And then, you know, it's kind of that, um, was it uh, Edison? Says, you know, I, I haven't failed. They found 10,000 ways it doesn't work um, mm -hmm. kind of thing. But it was just, well, we, and he was just a kid in the sandbox. You know, right from the very beginning of the of the creation of this device, he was like, we never really knew how it worked. <laughs> and we still don't, <laughs> you know, yeah. we know a lot about it, but we're still learning stuff. We're still diving into it. We're still exploring this and the nuances and trying to optimize this and fix that and update this. And, and we, two hours went like that, just snap. It was just absolutely fascinating, um, prompting him to think about how he explored it. Yeah, exactly. It's it's so much fun working with uh, engineering teams, uh, especially ones that are very creative. Mm -hmm. And it takes a, a huge amount of skill to keep them on task because you get these people that are just absolutely willing to go down rabbit holes and invent new things and, and be extremely creative. Uh, but if you're if you're actually trying to get something done, uh, <laughs> you have to allow that creativity, yeah. but channel it in some way. So it's a really interesting facilitation well, uh, I'm, challenge. I'm, I'm thinking of FMEAs, the very first, yes. all right, so how would this not work? Oh, the light won't come on. Oh, and then three electrical engineers jump up on the board and redo the circuit real quick. And like, yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, this is not an important problem here, guys. Come on, let's work on this. But that, yeah, there's a, a tendency to jump on. Engineers do that. We just go fix stuff. Um, but but yeah. let, let, let's get to the core of human nature for a minute. The what what really drives us, I think, is our personal interests, our personal passions, things that make a difference in our life. And if we can align, and I, I think back, and I'm I'm going to go down a rabbit hole a little bit here, <laughs> but uh, I think in terms of career, it's really important to know what ignites your passions, what things that you're really interested in and align those with skills and align those with need. If you can get all three of those in alignment, things that, that you're passionate about along with 
where there's a need, along with the type of skills that you have or can develop, then 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 your career is going to really take off, I think. And so it's kind of part of human nature to uh, to stay connected to that, to, to use the mining and um, phrase, the mother load mm-hmm. of the uh, of the of what interests you the most. So I really think it's important for people to know where their interests are and to explore them and to be curious and to, you know, like you say, read at night and um, and look into new things, because that's the passion that'll get you to root cause, along with the methodology, of course. Uh, it's, it's why is this the case? What What's missing here? I see something that's out of place or shouldn't be. All those are things that 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 are part of the curiosity path, and I think that's so important in our in our work. Yeah, and sometimes I mean, my curiosity is is well. One quick story: I was when I worked at Raychem, and I was working in a, a, a facility. We made heating cables, and it was a, a carbon black uh, filled polymers, and. I had a bunch of samples laying on my desk and I had, you know, sheets of paper underneath them just so I could keep track of which sample was which. I had them labeled that way. And it took me a week to get back to them. And I picked up one of the samples and there's this shadow of something on the paper that basically, it would be as if you were, you know, you put something down on a baking sheet and you dust flour over the top of it and then you pick it up, the piece of bread or whatever, you pick it up and there's this little circle that, shows where the powder didn't hit the pan or the, the flour didn't hit the pan. It just gave me this darkened area that outlined where the sample was. I'm like, what in the world is that? And I'm thinking, is that like in the auto industry when the dashboard and a new car, that new car smell that creates a film up on the windshield? You know, this, I think it's plasticizers that are coming out of it. And, or is it, something else is this thing diffuse or is it doing this is it doing? and I my head was just racing and one of the senior folks in the in the company was always very willing to answer questions so I wandered down there and I'll show him the piece of paper and he says you know I've been working here for 25 years and you're the only person I know of that actually noticed that <laughs> he says I know exactly what it is and I can tell you that and he told me the chemistry and all the stuff that was going on he says but we, we all of us in this entire building have put samples down on paper and had the opportunity to see this, but you noticed it. And he was like, then my champion from then on. And, but it was just, yeah, you have to be prepared. And I, I've run into that. And even when I was at Raychem, um, part of our training was to do an experiment every day. And part of it was just to learn to be observant. What is it you expect and the value of that is that then you can you're allowing yourself to be surprised if the answer doesn't come out the way you expected it. Then that's something useful. That was kind of drilled into us, uh, except for one of my bosses. I think it was tongue in cheek saying, "No, no, no, that's not the answer I wanted. Go do it again," <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Right, right. But, well, there's there, there's some. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think how we can help people explore their curiosity and, and get it applied. And, and one of the techniques that has been so useful, it's it's the simplest technique of all, which is the five whys. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's basically always asking why. 
to something. And I'm thinking back uh, years ago uh, to uh, when I was in the test lab and we had, uh, I was in charge of door testing at GM. Mm-hmm. And one of the, I think it was the, oh, I'm going to forget the name of the uh, the vehicle line. It'll come to me. Uh, but it was a new approach uh, that had a different hinging system. And we, the problem was the doors would uh, sag. So we'd run the test and the doors would sag. And so why are they sagging? Well, the, the if you keep asking, then the obvious comes up is they had a new hinging system and they hadn't done the free body diagrams and they hadn't done the, the force deflections on that. And then we could tailor our testing to get at the exact science of why they were sagging. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so many examples like that of just why is this the case? And it can be annoying to people and it shouldn't be, uh, but it, it's very simple to to ask that when you're in a meeting. Why is that happening? Yeah. Why is something different this time than it was before? And just keep on that type of uh, questioning. And maybe, maybe that's why questions work so well, because uh, we're exploring something that we don't know when we ask a question. You know, sometimes it's it, it's it's helping others view it in a different way. I think being curious has been driven out of so many people. You know, you do what you're told, you run the experiment, you get the results, you write the report, you're done, right? There is nothing to learn here. And I think curiosity and the desire to learn and to explore and and be fascinated um, is lost in so many people. You have to be three years old and, you know, explore everything and have that kind of mindset. (laughs) You're right. It gets gets driven out. I remember uh, on our, uh, we have have three children that have gone through the public public school system. And I, I tried really hard to get them, and they are, they're very interested, very interested in science. But when they did their science classes, each of them at the different ages, their their teachers were more format oriented. Mm-hmm. And so they would get very excited about a science project, but they would present it in the wrong size page, or the fonts weren't quite right. And it would drive me crazy because here's the, 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 the natural desire to learn something is being, um, I hate to use the word squashed, but but lessened yeah, by yeah. pushing a format that doesn't aid in the exploration of the science that they're exploring. Well, it, 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 it's instead of focusing on the enthusiasm, and I mean, I had a, a physics professor or professor teacher in high school that somebody came up, said, you know, how do you, how did the old, you know, the ancients figure out the earth was, was a sphere uh, or spinning or, or whatever it was. And, and there's a famous experiment where they hang a, basically a bowling ball off of a string and you, it traverses back and forth the distance and it processes and that you can calculate based on the spin of the earth or whatever the exact science of that was, how much it would do it. So we set it up and then it, just air friction would slow it down. So we put a little magnet device on it that said, all right, we're going to kick it every time it comes through. And it stayed dead straight. And I knew the teacher knew what was going on, and but he didn't tell us. And we came up with the conclusion that the earth was flat and not spinning. And we published it in the school paper and showed our science and... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but he would let us just 
you know, let's run that out. You know, how do you know? And, and play with that and try it. And we'd spend whole sessions, whole weeks of class just going down a rabbit hole to somebody would have a question and we'd set up experiments and run it and stuff. He was teaching us to be excited about science instead of the five paragraph report. Yes. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. The, uh, uh, and so explore for a minute with me, the, the educational system that is teaching people to, uh, that, that if you do X, Y, Z, or I'm sorry, if you do X and Y, you get Z, um, as a way of thinking, which is really important. I'll call mm-hmm. it the outside in thinking, the, that, that it's very much in the engineering uh, approach, which mm-hmm. is you have this set of data and it's going to head you towards this conclusion. And this is the size of beam you need, you know, and it's, here's yeah. the load. Okay. We got to put this much mass there and blah. And we need that. We have to have that. And so I don't want to anyway say that's not important, but there's another part of this, which is the inside out thinking, which is the creative process, which is what's something we haven't explored before. What's something we haven't tried. What's some, and that's where a lot of, I found it fascinating to me. So many of the science breakthroughs are, are mistakes or things they didn't expect. In other words, they, they started an experiment, something went wrong and Oh, wow. Here's what happened. Yeah, yeah. We did. We didn't anticipate that. I mean, so many of the breakthroughs are unanticipated, and so you have to train yourself to not only do outside-in thinking, but to also allow and explore uh, some type of stimulant. Not not stimulant. I don't mean that chemically. I mean to stimulate your brain to think newly or differently or ways that haven't been thought before. And balance the outside-in thinking with the with the other. Well, it's <clears throat> there's so many pieces to that. I mean, we not not going to suggest we write a book on it because, but plenty of people have. As one of the phenomena, and I I know I've mentioned this before, is that um, when you come to an intersection to a busy road and you're going to take a right-hand turn, you look up stream at the traffic. It is incredibly difficult for the human being in a car or truck to see a bicycle or a motorcycle it Mm -hmm. you physically can see it you have the photons hitting your retina and you can see all this stuff but to register it you're looking up the stream for what you expect i'm expecting a car or a greyhound bus right and i'm not gonna pull out and i've had people i'm on my bicycle and i've had people look right at me i swear they look right at me and then pull out in front of me and yes and so as a driver, having the experience of riding a bicycle, I, I look, I deliberately look for a bicycle and then I can see all the other stuff that's out there. It's the same in experimentation is we, we go through this process of in statistics to set up a hypothesis test. Here's what we expect to happen. And here we want to prove that if something different happens, that it's real. And so many times we we really really want vendor A to be better and then that's what we see and we just deny that it didn't have that result and and it's it's that same phenomena in our brain is that if you have a preconceived notion of what the result is it's a confirmation bias i think is part of it um, mm-hmm. but it's the the trick i think and it goes to that like inside out thinking is well, this is what I expect, but don't hold that too firmly. 
it's also at that same time think, well, what are the, what else could happen? Well, it could catch on fire and that would be exciting. Or it could do this, 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 or it could do this and list, you know, what else do you need to look for? And it's the same process when you go into a halt process and go you know, take a device to a uh, halt and apply all these different stresses on it. You got to think through, well, what do I need to monitor or measure so that I don't miss what is unexpected? If you don't measure anything, you don't see it. So you got to prepare yourself to see it, to look at it, to measure it. Yeah. It's almost like we have to overcome our uh, natural tendency to, uh, to see what we've preconceived. Uh, Just two very short stories. Uh, one is, and I think I've shared this probably a few years ago, but I'll mention it, is in my early years uh, as a manager at uh, GM I, it, of the reliability group, I would, uh, and we, there, I had maybe 20 people in the group at that time, and I would assign each one of them, uh, I'm sorry, they, they would select, each one of them I would ask to select something about science uh, and we focused on failure mechanisms for a long time, mm-hmm. but some scientific principle that, that might interact with reliability, something that would be good for us to know. Mm-hmm. And then they would go explore it. And this was my counter because I hated meetings. I hated administration. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like to go through all the boring stuff at a staff meeting. So I'd say, OK, half the staff meeting will be some new science exploration that uh, and person A would come in and they, they might bring a guest and they teach us about corrosion or they teach us about, and we just basically fill up that time that is designated for the staff meeting. And we did that for well over a year of all kinds of different projects. And the idea being that you can design for reliability better if you understand the scientific principles that are part of the products that, uh, the systems that are being designed. Oh, so yeah. that worked really well as sort of a, a strategy to think outside the box and learn more. And then the other Part of it is you got to be aware of there's 18 different. If I didn't know about um, galvanic corrosion, where you have dissimilar yeah. metals and that's a bad thing, I'm like, really? And and then you see it happen, and you get a time lapse video of these these two metals just kind of destroying each other, and you're like, wow, okay, I guess that does happen. Uh, or, I mean, w- one thing after another. Part of it is just being aware of it, and so that when you it helps you then to be to to know that oh in this experiment i just saw what could be galvanic ex- corrosion but if you're not aware of what galvanic corrosion is you wouldn't know to look for it that's yeah I mean. exactly yeah to precisely and, and the other story and, and i'm sure you've had a, a similar thing is years ago when i did i'm thinking way back when we were doing step stress mm-hmm. almost as a predecessor to halt and it's the first time i saw an ic board uh, fail. In other words, I actually saw it fail. Mm-hmm. And and it, it was surprising to me because it failed in ways I didn't think it would. I, I didn't, it, it was like eye-opening to uh, to let your mind just not have any pre- preconceived ideas and then go through the different temperature profiles and the different vibrations and everything and see the way it failed. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, you know, it was obviously it had to do with soldering and this and that, but it wasn't something that I predicted. And that's part of the exploration is to not, is to have your mind open to, to see whatever happens rather than some preconceived idea. Yeah. Well, knowing in working on this book with you for the number of years, I, I know that you like quotes and there's a, 
and I drawn a complete blank of who said it, but it was, hey, you should, you should keep your mind open, but not so much that your brain falls out. Yes. <laughs> That's a good balance. <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. But anyway, I mean, this 20 minutes of zipped by, I mean, we could dive into this a bunch of different ways, but it's the bottom line is, is that in reliability engineering, we get to be exposed to and, and need to be aware of a broad range from material science, electrical engineering and mechanics, software, and all the ways they don't work or don't play well together or don't interact well together and all the ways they can go wrong. So it's a huge sphere of stuff to be curious about. But I think the gist is, is that in order to learn, you got to be willing to be surprised and to explore and to uh, and ask questions and, and dive into it. And yeah, some of them are rabbit holes, but it's just fun. I think that's what I picked up from that science reporter. It was like, he was like, this is just fun. It's just fascinating to learn how the world works. Hey, what, what a great career. I mean, what a great uh, field we have uh, where we can be curious and and still uh, earn a living. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So, anyway, if everybody's now running off to the uh, the FA lab to go break something and see what happens, uh, have fun and then see you next episode. If you stuck around for a moment or two and you have a question or an idea for a future episode or uh, something you're struggling with, how do you do this in a in a facility, for example? Um, let us know. Head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR, and you can find a couple ways to get in touch with us there. Carl and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and on our About pages. So plenty of ways for you to get in touch. And if you're curious of what kind of answer we would give you, ask a question. <laughs> I guess that's the easiest one. Very good, Fred. But great conversation. All right. Thanks, Carl. I'm sure we'll bring this topic up again. Uh, I'm sure we will. Uh, yeah. All right. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.